All right, we're going to do music now uh, with George Howard. Here he goes. Sounding out there. You hear any guitar? We can't hear anything. Do you want to get it closer? I don't know. I don't know where the mix is. I'm good. You're going to sound. How are you doing? What do you think? <laughs> is it coming through? was fast as polished steel he wore his gun outside his pants for all the honest world to feel Pancho met his match you know in the deserts down in Mexico nobody heard his dying words yeah but that's the way it goes Story ends, we're told. Punch 
the few for left it to They only did what they had to do And now he's growing old It feels like um, we talk about tech and music a lot, but we tend not to uh, connect the two very often. So I want to thank Kelly again. That was, I mean, you don't, you don't get to see that at a tech show all that often. But here's the great Bill Todd. So um, I want to talk about the song that owns itself. Yeah, that's me. Uh, we can go through. Oh, I got the clip. All right, the song that owns itself. So the whole point of this thing is forever, songs are put out there into the world and we don't really know quite how to measure their efficacy, who's doing what, etc. Um, so the core thesis is here that the value allocation about how a song goes from being released to actually becoming popular, generating revenue, is completely disjointed, right? And so the value chain has been kind of historically molded since the very beginning of time in the music industry with people like publishers, distributors, labels, etc. taking the line share of the income, even while they tend not to do the most of the heavy lifting. So the impact is you get these songwriters, etc., that are deeply undervalued, and you don't really get to artists in the way that they should be. So what Kelly and I just sang was a song called Poncho and Lefty. If you don't know it or didn't know it, and if you don't know the artist Towns Van Zant, I implore you. Kelly's from Texas, Towns Van Zant's from Texas, he's dead now. But he's, he's a hero. You probably heard of the Zan, Van Zandt Hotel. That's because of Towns, right? So he released this record, the song called Poncho and Lefty in 1972. No one bought the record. Then, apropos of really nothing, in 1983, Billy Nelson and Merle Haggard do a cover of the song. Because the song's brilliant, right? Like, and they're the right person had to hear it. It goes to number one on the country charts. What did the labels have to do with that? You could argue that the publishers might have had something to do with it. But really, it was this growing kind of word of mouth that led from Towns Van Zant to Willie and Merle. And even if you go to Google today, I took that slide this morning, it says the song is by Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson. That's objectively wrong. They performed a version of it, but they did not write it. And so now we continue to perpetuate this bad metadata, and we don't allocate the credit to Towns Van Zant or the revenue to Willie and Merle. Then, if you just do a search for Poncho and Lefty in Austin, restaurants And you might ask yourself, well, why in the world would a restaurant name itself after Poncho and Lefty, the song? Because it has this emotional resonance. But again, what in the world is Poncho and Lefty, the restaurant, doing to value or perpetuate 
or receive value for continuing to keep this song alive, and vice versa, right? Then a beautiful woman shows up in a bar, and in the bar, this is not a joke, in comes a, someone with a dog, and the dog's name is Lefty. And this is my neighbor's dog, Lefty, and my girlfriend, Lindsay, and, and the neighbors one time walked up to me, and they're like, yo, we just got this new dog. We rescued him. He came with a name. I said, oh, what's his name? They said, Lefty. I said, oh, like Poncho and Lefty. They said, how did you know, George? Right? They had never heard the song. Whoever had this dog before heard, heard the song. So I say, well, because it's, it's the greatest song ever, and, you know, what can I say? And, but now we go to the bar down the road. Lefty comes in. Everyone says, why Lefty? And then everyone tells the story of Poncho and Lefty. And then some percentage of people go home and listen to uh, Towns Van Zandt. My man Lefty there, my favorite creature in the animal kingdom, he is not receiving any royalties for perpetuating the greatness of Towns Van Zandt or the song. He just happened to be the beneficiary through some karmic, you know, good luck of being called Lefty. So, you know, structurally, music entertainment is operated on modeled, approximated, extrapolated, guessed, and or usurious, but not measured system. In other words, it's better for the incumbents to kind of go, oh, we're going to pay you what we think you're, you're owed, right? Well, you know, I don't know that I want these companies that aren't exactly known for their crystal clear ethics determining to me what they should or shouldn't pay me for my song. But Kelly a few moments ago, more Kelly than me, obviously, singing Poncho and Lefty, I promise you, will result in exactly zero dollars going into the pockets of Towns Van Zandt, even though this convention center is undoubtedly paying, I don't know, lots of money per year to ASCAP and BMI, because their job is to make sure that when a song like that gets sung, which I did not write, right, that the person who did write it, because it's ascribed in our copyright code at section 115, gets paid. But ASCAP and BMI are better off modeling it, right? Similarly, Merlin Willie's version of the song, which is the one everybody here probably knows, the definitive version is on Towns Van Zandt's great record called Live at the Old Quarter. You're welcome. But everybody here knows it from Merlin Willie's, which quite honestly is not great. The fucked up thing about this is Towns Van Zandt and his publisher actually do receive money when the song is, is played on radio. The fucked up thing, though, is neither Willie or Merle or their label does. And again, it goes back to this archaic kind of modeling system where people are like, ah, it's too confusing. That's crazy. It's not too, we're, we're mapping the human you know, genome. They can figure out when a song is being played on the radio, right? When this restaurant names itself after a song, there is direct value creation. How many people come into that restaurant and learn about Taos Van Zandt because of the name of that restaurant? People that had no idea before they got there. When a beautiful woman walks into a bar with a dog named Lefty, value is created, and yet there's been no system to capture that value. So um, this came out of an idea like 2016, because I'm a nerd, probably because Bill Tide taught me something about something. I gave some talk about a car that owned it, just as an example around how DAOs could actually bring value. It was the early days of DAOs. People were like, a DAO? You know what, 2022, people were like, what's a DAO? But some people know more. Um, but so I thought, well, a car could own itself and pay dividends out, and that would help Uber, et cetera. But I don't fucking care about cars, right? So I do care about art. So I created this thing a summer or so ago called The Song That Owns Itself. And what happens is the creator takes the song copyright and assigns whatever percentage he, she, or they wants to assign to a DAO, right? So many artists will go, okay, I'm going to assign 49%. 
And essentially what they're doing is creating a tranche for the community to be rewarded with when they do something that the song wants. And you might ask yourself, well, what does a song want? Well, a song wants to perpetuate, right? A song wants to be heard, not by just everyone. A song wants to be heard by the people that will play it forward, right? In business, we call this net promoter score. It's far more important to take a song and get it in front of 100 people who will share it with 10 of their friends than it is to get in front of 10,000 people and no one shares it with anyone, right? But we've never been able to choreograph how to find and incent those people. But this is what Stoey does. It takes all of, the, all of the value creators in the chain, labels, distributors, publicists, etc., and tries to see by actual objective evidence who is giving the song what it wants. Now, admittedly, we're early days of, of web whatever, right? And, and we'll get there. Right now, it's a little ad hoc. Blockchain allows us, do you notice that's the first time I said the word blockchain? Blockchain allows for us to now see certain things on chain, but of course, many things aren't yet on chain. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. My guess is more things will be on chain over time than less things. Could be wrong. And once things come on chain, then you get to measure it, not model it. So Merle and, and Willie covering it, right? They created more value than any record label did. I promise. I promise. I've run record labels. I know what record labels do. I'm not trying to make fun of them or put them down. But I promise you that Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson created more value for Poncho and Lefty than any record label by orders of magnitude. A restaurant calling itself Poncho and Lefty likely has done as much or more in terms of creating awareness than any publisher. I promise. You know why? Those publishers are doing fuck all right now for Poncho and Lefty except for collecting the money. Okay, that's their business model. A beautiful woman in a bar holding a dog called Lefty and talking about his name and then people amplifying this on social media is definitely doing more than anyone in the record industry. Do you see what I'm saying? That's a fucked up heuristic. When someone, admittedly a beautiful someone, walks a dog with admittedly bar with admittedly a cute dog and they are doing more promotion for a piece of art than all of the structures come on it represents a moral bankruptcy on the on the institution side and b tremendous opportunity right so willie is making what is that oh kelly willis is making my croaking somewhat palatable uh song and introducing many of you to Pine lefty kelly got nothing but my eternal gratitude Town's got nothing. Who's winning here? So Stokes began the process of, of recalibration, right? Certainly artists who expose others' work should be rewarded by the song. And, 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 and Willie were. They were. They made money in artist royalty. Um, Towns' as publisher made money, right? But depending on how much value they create. Alternatively, the song should be able to preclude those who will do harm from being able to cover. I don't want to bring the room down, so I won't go too deep into it, but there is a song that is played at literally every sporting event that when it is played, money accrues to a convicted child abuser. Every time, right? You all can do the research and figure out what song it is. We should be able to say either no, we prefer that not to happen, or happen, but we're going to direct the money from that atrocity to victim relief funds, right? We can't just keep going through this modeled method because things slide through the cracks, right? The Poncho restaurant is a metaphor for any orthogonal collision. We're seeing that in so-called Web3, Fortnite, Travis Scott, whatever. We need a lot more of that because that's where value is created. If Poncho were a stoey, the it would 
to issue tokens to the restaurant. You see what I'm saying? We would be able to see that this restaurant is turning people on and we'd issue tokens to that restaurant that's supporting the song. What do they do with the tokens? It gives the holders value. That value can be in the form of utility. I get to do a Q&A with Kelly Willis. Or, and you know, how we test, we are trying to determine it may have actual pecuniary financial value. We'll see. One way or the other, there should be a reward. If Poncho were a stoey, it would issue tokens to the beautiful woman when she tweets out. That's easy. We can do that. We can see when people tweet and say, thank you very much, we're going to award you a token. That's the type of beginning, and as more things come on chain, we start to create economies where the net promoters, the true people that are giving value to artwork, are rewarded rather than subjugated. So to date, we've written a white paper. If you go to stoey.org, oh, here they are. If you go to stoey.org, you can read the white paper, um, and then we created the product. Myself. And then my brilliant partner, Aubrey Anderson, who is the founder of a company called The New Computer Company, and wrote the quote, quote um, code, put it all together. Grateful to Algorand, um, uh, conflict alert, I'm the uh, artist entertainment advisor to Algorand. But they gave us a grant to port it from ETH to Algo. And then we released a first doughy uh, with an artist called God uh, Superposition, which is two guys from the Glitch Mob. And, in, and I got it, I'm a lawyer, I got it registered and recognized as a legal DAO in Wyoming. So we have the force of law behind us, the rule of law. Then we did another artist, by uh, another track by an artist named Jesse Boykins, and then much to my delight, and I, I launched this last uh, three months ago at South by, where Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC created a song as a stoey and we performed it. There's a lot more to come. We're gonna start bringing in more functionality for stoey creators and stoey holders, really ecosystem. Obviously, we want to get to a self-service functionality and tooling, right? The company that I'm probably most known for starting at this point is TuneCore. I used I use the same blueprint. When we started TuneCore, I went to some artist friends I knew, Chuck D, uh, Trent Reznor, whatever, and said, hey, we think this is a way to kind of reshape things. They agreed. We did. We got artists on. We've now paid out over a billion dollars to artists, right? This could have that same type of, of, of platform effect once we get the tools out of there. I'm an educator. I want there to be a just-in-time education moment where before you can release a STOE, you have to go through some very quick course on what a copyright is. Because unless and until we start educating artists and not just pushing them into Web3, we're going to build Web3 exactly like Web2 is, where the people that understand the rules take care of those who don't. I want to integrate into other Web3 tools. I'm a co-founder of a company called Dequency. I've got a bunch of companies out there. They're all meant to sort of interoperate, right? And then other media. Shows that own themselves. Why can't we do comedy specials? Why can't we do theater specials? Why can't we do TV shows, movies, etc.? All of this creative output puts the power back in. And then an ongoing commitment to artists having a seat at the table of creation. It's why my great honor was to have someone like Kelly Willis, not just like, yeah, Kelly was in the room while we're talking. You all got to see her sing, right? And see how this is something that is so deeply entrenched together. There's a real bad Dunning-Kruger effect in the kind of Web3 music industry, where really admittedly brilliant people in finance, technology, or whatever go, well, I know how to fix the music business. Someone that's been trying to fix the music business for 30 years, no, you fucking don't, right? So let's partner together to avoid you having landmine you know, moments and me being able to kind of say, well, we're going to actually help artists without going through all the pain and growth that we don't need to go to as we move from a measured system from a modeled one. So that's Thank you very much. Oh, I thought I thought it was done. I thought.
Oh, well, I'll take questions, I guess, or people can. I'm not singing without Kelly, that's for sure. All right, well, I'll oh, yeah, sorry. I'll ask a question. <laughs> oh, that was great. Thank you. Um, hello. No, no, not close. Closer is not going to be better, trust me. I'm a sound engineer. This is already difficult. Uh, so, my question is, you mentioned securities laws. I know, I mean, you're a lawyer. I, but this is the big problem, right, with, uh, with um, what, a thousand uh, shareholder limit and LLCs, and, and, and I think this is what, you know, I've run into lots of thinking about this was this the idea is great but you have the um, uh, what I like to call the violence monopoly corporation also the government uh, that tends to come in and try to protect incumbents and legacy systems with things like that so tell me so I have two answers to that the question if you couldn't hear relates to around to the legality of tokens and the kind of endemic to them about whether or not the Howey test, which is sort of the SEC to test whether something has utility or is a security. So one answer is, is through a company I co-founded called Dequency, which is meant to de-risk and make sure that anyone who wants to license music into a visual image doesn't get sued into oblivion. And I think that'll happen, right? That's less about a Howey test. Then with Stoey, obviously, because of our token, our thesis is, is that there's risk right now, but that also means there's opportunity. No one has real clarity on it. A lot of people will tell you that, right? But, but as someone that's been an entrepreneur and an investor for a long time, I lean into risk. I'm in the risk business. If we wait until this is fully settled, the opportunity will be arbitrage. So it's a very personal kind of business decision. That's why I don't practice law, right? Because the lawyers will say, well, any risk means don't do it. And entrepreneurial will quantify the risk as sort of a tax. And that's where we are right now. I can't tell you where your risk profile is. Okay. Kinda. Okay. First of all, great, great presentation. So what about signed artists? Is a signed artist that already has a deal with a, a record label able to do this? And what about the copyright issues there? You're amazing, yeah. So we obviously started with the premise of artists who had all their rights. They wrote their own song. They weren't affiliated with a label. But, I, you know, and this is hard for me because, like, I've always... My, my beautiful girlfriend brought, because uh, there was like a football sticker on this, because I borrowed this guitar from someone, and, and she said, oh, put a Keep Austin Weird sticker on it. I was like, fuck that, and I just put weird on it, right? So it's hard for me because my nature is I want to burn down the institutions, right? Blame, blame my childhood. I don't know. But I, as I've matured a little, um, I, I view it as positive sum with Web3. I believe that the institutions, labels, et cetera, will see the merits of this system and will adopt it. They tend to do that. If you look at innovators' dilemma kind of capitalism, the incumbents will wait and either buy the or put out a business or occasionally be disrupted. The technology that we've created is not zero sum. So a STOE would actually benefit labels and publishers as much or more than it does the independent artists. But to your point exactly, because of copyright law right now, they would have to buy into it. I hope that they do. One of the things on our roadmap is to do stories with co-writes, stories with visual images, and start copyright that way. It's a super astute question, but you know we're trying to trying not to be so antagonistic. Everyone else isn't antagonistic. I'm trying not to be antagonistic, and instead say to labels and publishers, "Come on, let's play together." We'll see. You've addressed the labels and publishers. What about the major streaming services? How do they? So the, the songs that we've done already, thank you for that, they're on, on the streaming services, and, and, and then the money comes in in fiat, obviously, 
we then have to convert that into crypto in order to pay out. My hope here is that becomes carrot for the majors to go, you know, maybe this will be more efficient if we do it all on chain. To your point, we're, we're, it's positive sum. Release it everywhere, and then let's really figure out where the value is coming from. But yeah, they're on, when we put them up on the streaming services. So fun, thank you all. Oh, sorry. So the question was, could I comment on the relationship between STOE and live events, ticketing, et cetera? It's a wonderful question. So, you know, from my experience, these live events are real moments of net promoter score. You, you drag someone to a concert, you, you know what I mean? There are moments where it's a Pareto principle, right? Like, so 10 to 20% of the people that come to a live concert are going to tell people, the rest of the people aren't. Right now, we don't know who those people are or when they're doing it so easy that if you're at a live show to tweet out, hey, I'm watching so-and-so with a hashtag that we can read from Stowe and go, thanks, and here's a token, and here's the real net benefit. Now, the creator knows who that most passionate percentile are at their show. Any, any performer knows, you've got, like here, like there are probably like five of you are like, I gotta go check out Kelly Willis's stuff, or maybe all of you, I don't know. But, but not, you know, it tends not, but she won't know. You'll go listen on Spotify, you'll do it, no idea. This allows you to own that relationship. Right now the DSPs own that relationship and they don't give you data. They'll give you a rough geographic one and we can anonymize it, but if you, if you loved Kelly Willis and you saw her at a live show and you tweeted out and you got a token, you guys can connect. And to me, that's everything. And that's what I mean about finding the true value. And I promise you that connection will be worth more financially to Kelly Willis than so much stuff that's now valued. It's a wonderful question. Thanks.